So my name's Ollie, and uh, the elders have asked me to speak this morning, and uh, we're going to carry on our series through uh, Acts, and we're going to come to Acts 12 this morning. Um, and the worship time there was amazing. If, you're gonna, if you can keep the undertone of the worship through the whole preach, that would be great. It would take, make my life a lot easier. Um, just remembering how loving and how faithful and how good God really is, especially in times of trials or difficulty. Really, if we look at the last uh, few months we've been going through Acts from 1 to 11, it's been really the story of uh, relative success for the early church. We've seen uh, this new thing called Christianity uh, being spread far and wide. And we really briefly recap Acts 1 to 11. It'll just take me 45 minutes or so. Um, we see Jesus ascends, obviously, at the start. His Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost. Thousands are saved. We see lots of healings. We see Saul. Uh, we, saw, we see Stephen stoned and killed, which obviously wasn't a positive. But the result of that was the persecution spread the Christians far and wide. And with them, the word of God spread far and, far and wide, far beyond Jerusalem, which is obviously good. Um, Saul was converted. We see more healings, more conversions. And then we see the witnessing to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles. So all in all, generally speaking, Acts 1 to, 12, 1 to 11 is a very positive, very successful period. And then we get to Acts 12. And really quickly when we read it, you'll see that it starts off on a bit of a, bit of a diner. You see James gets killed, Peter gets imprisoned. It's not the first time he's been in prison, but it's probably the first time he expects imminent death because he's just seen his best mate, James, get killed. And it, it just doesn't start off on a great note. So we'll read it first, and then we'll see what we have to go through. So Acts 12 should be up there. So about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed them laid violent hands on someone who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, intending that after Passover to bring him out to the people and most likely to, uh, to kill him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. He said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and we see the first electrical uh, automatic doors in the, in the Bible. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jews people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And he, he knocked at the door of the gateway, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported, uh, reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And he said to her, 
you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel, probably because they thought he was dead. Peter continued knocking, and when they opened him, opened the door, they saw, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with, with his hands to be silent, he, said, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that he be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, look into your word. We thank you for your scriptures, Lord, and that they are profitable to us, Lord. Teach us this morning, Father. Anoint you with your spirit, Father. And I pray everyone can understand me. Amen. So do tell me to slow down if I speak too fast. Anyway, so as you see in the first part of the, of the chapter, there's a bit of a setback. And I wonder, has anyone here ever been going along quite nicely, walking through life, going quite well, and then suddenly a setback comes, or a disappointment comes, or a failure comes? James was a disciple. He was a close disciple, one of Jesus' best friends. We knew he was in the inner circle of three, if you like, um, with, uh, with Peter, who's in the story, and John, who's uh, James's brother. They were very close in the three next to Jesus. And, um, but really quickly, he has one tiny little verse, verse 2, which basically just says he was killed. And that's it. We don't hear any more about him. You know, Stephen, who we don't hear much about elsewhere, had this fantastic whole chapter given to him about this glorious preach he had and the consequences of it. But James was just caught by Herod and killed. And it's a, it's a pretty, um, you know, bleak, uh, con- it's, a bit, it's a bit of an interesting contrast. You know, as, as I read the story, I saw Peter, yes, gets miraculously freed by the angel, which is wonderful. But why wasn't James? And that's what, that's what struck me. So we're going to look at that bit this morning. Obviously, God's will for their lives were different. But why and what can this teach us? So a quick hands up. Um, who here, this is an easy question, who here has ever been through a trial or suffered in any shape or form? Come on. All right. Okay. Stupid question. There's a lot more people here this morning who are much more experienced, much more qualified to speak on this than I am. But let's look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures have to say to us. Essentially, the bottom line is we need to be able to suffer well. We need to know what God's broader will for our lives is. I'm not going to tell you you have to go and move to China and be a missionary, but just God's broader will for our lives. Uh, So why and how do we go through trials? You know, trials like, you know, let your imagination run wild. Trials like disappointment, failure, rejection. Uh, illness, bereavement, all these things which you think are, are, are difficult times in your life. Um, why do you need to know this? Well, because they do come. They will come. You know, if, if you're young, you feel you've had a good life, that's wonderful. But difficulties will come. We will all suffer from death and decay. Okay? So not sorry on a, on a negative note, sorry. You're all sitting there depressed now. Um, but we're going to have, we're going to go through four quick points. Um, we're going to look at good relationship with God, having a good theology of the scriptures, having good community and having good vision. So the first one, good relationship. 
the first question is, what does having a relationship with God, with, with God mean? Now, you, you know, it's a bit of an, uh, a simple question, I guess. But if you, you hear quite a lot, you know, I'm a Christian, I have a personal relationship with God. Well, what does that mean? Well, essentially, it means knowing him and spending time with him. Getting to know someone personally isn't the same as knowing things about them. I can know things or facts about uh, John Linden or uh, Tim Bicknell or whoever. I can know how tall they are, how much hair they have, how, uh, you know, what their inside leg measurement is. I know Tim's is 30 inches. Um, you, can, you, can know, you, you can know how attractive they are or how ugly they are, depending on your point of view. But you can't truly know them as a person until you spend time with them, get to know them, and appreciate them. Okay? So that's a simple example. Another one would be if you watch a movie and the director lets you, uh, lets you follow the main character. There's usually a main character. You get to know the main character. You might like them. You might have a connection with them. Uh, and then if they get injured or unwell or shot or something, you might feel sad. And if you're, you're Gary, you might even cry. Uh, but if it's just an, an extra, someone who's on the periphery of the movie, who's just out of shot, who's in the back of Jan Bauer's uh, van, and they get shot and killed, you don't really care, do you? Uh, you don't think about, you know, the Uncle Bobby's family sitting on the dinner table waiting for him to come home, and uh, he's sitting on the floor somewhere with a bullet in him. Anyway, I, di- I, di- I, di- I digress. Getting to know someone more affects your relationship. You know, just like when I married Hazel, I'd known her for two years. I thought I loved her, and I, th- I liked her enough to marry her, obviously, uh, uh, and then over the next uh, eight or nine years, I come to realize that I love her even more, uh, thankfully, and, uh, and it's spending time with them and getting to know them, you get to love them more, and you know, in the same way, we have this wonderful opportunity to get to know God, so when Jesus, you know, remember, when Jesus died on the cross in the temple, the curtain was torn in two, which it separated the people from the Holy of Holies where God resided, it was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying we can have this relationship with God. We can enter in and have this personal relationship with God. Grudem, who, Wayne Grudem, who's a theologian, um, he uh, says, the personal relationship with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son is the greatest of all blessings of Christian life. So having a, relation, having a strong relationship with God will obviously help us through hard times. And why? Well, if you just look at your friends and family who support you and help you through hard times, how much more is a loving, relational, personal, heavenly Father going to help you? Okay, so obviously it's important to have a relationship with God. Relationship with God. So how do we? Well, um, one of the key ways, which I know you're all thinking, is prayer. Um, we know that James and Peter, for example, were men of prayer. There's several examples in Acts and in the earlier Gospels. So Acts chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 10, verse 9, give uh, specific examples of them praying. And also we can be encouraged by Isaiah 41. Uh, and many of you might remember it. And it says, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. So in tough times... Praying and waiting on God gives us strength. And prayer also rallies our spirit. And having God's spirit, God the Holy Spirit in us, being baptized in the spirit, being filled in the spirit, 
gives us strength and empowers us. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And obviously James and Peter, we know, were filled in the Spirit. They were there at Pentecost. And the great thing is it's available to us today, the very same Spirit. God hasn't changed. And the Holy Spirit is a huge asset when suffering you know, will come to our lives. Romans 8.26, and I'll quote a bit more Romans 8 later on. It says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So, knowing God and knowing what he says to us through his word is also important. So the next point is good theology. We need to be aware of what God has to teach us from his scriptures, not just for suffering, but obviously for lots of things, and for his will, his broader will for our lives. The word keeps us rooted in truth. It's our foundation. The Bible is what we build our build our Christian lives upon. Yes, relationship is obviously key, but the word is vital. Um, Why did James get executed and not Peter? Why did he save Peter and and James James got killed? Why didn't James get the final glorious hurrah that Stephen had when he preached? Was it unfair? Why why does God let anyone suffer? Big, big, big question. Why does he let you suffer? Why does he let me suffer? Does anyone here ever ask, why me, God? Does anyone ever ask, you know, why did I get ill? Why did this have to happen to me? Why did my uh, husband or wife get unwell? Why did I have to get cancer? Why did um, why do I have financial problems? Why do I feel so lonely? Why um, are my children rebelling? Why does my heart marriage have difficulties? Lot, you know, tons of questions. Why me? Do we blame God? Do we, um, do we get bitter and point the finger and accuse God? Listen, I mean, I'm not going to answer all these questions today. There's many uh, older, wiser men with big grey beards and fuzzy hair which have written many big books on this, which I'm not going to get into today. But essentially, either God really is unloving or our view of God might be wrong or our understanding of suffering and God might be, not, might be wrong. Having the correct biblical understanding with this and with anything is essential. And, you know, it's obvious that God obviously allows suffering. That's not really open for debate. You just look around us. Uh, you know, obviously James was ex- executed. Jesus was crucified, suffered more than any of us, perhaps. Job in the Old Testament, his story is absolutely insane. And like I said, it's all around us. We will all eventually suffer, as I said at the start, through death and decay. Even Christians, there are no 120-year-old faith healers. What, Peter, what, what, uh, what PJ Smyth says in his talks. But, you know, you, do we ever ask, God, you, you owe me? You owe me? You, you owe me a long life? You owe me good health? You owe me money? You owe me happiness? Do we ever ask that? Do we, when I think, it might not verbalize it, do we ever think it? But the truth is, you know, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything because he's already given us everything. Like in one of the songs we sang this morning, he alone is enough. We have this relationship with him. We have his spirit in us. We have been set free and we have this eternity to look forward to. 
by his grace alone we have anything at all. It's by his grace he sustains us. It's by his grace we live our every breath. We have uh, food on the table. It's by his grace that anything happens in our lives at all. And it's by his grace uh, alone that we have the salvation. It's by his grace that Peter was miraculously saved. We spend a, a second to look at uh, Paul in Second Corinthians. Um, I'm going to read out from chapter 12. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this should be our example, folks. It's a pretty, it's a pretty high bar. But, as he says, through weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, through illness and death and trials, and although James was killed, and although you may suffer, his grace is sufficient to cover all that. God is stronger than our problems. He also says there, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Take a minute to think about that. It sounds cool, but you know, what does it mean? Well, if his power is made perfect in weakness, then it's by being weak that God can reveal his power. Okay? It's by being weak that God can reveal his power. It doesn't say, my power is made, is made, uh, my power is made perfect in strength. It says, my power is made perfect in weakness. How much more glory does it give to God if he can raise something which is weak and useless up into strength? So suffering and weakness can bring glory to God. And suffering sanctifies us. It, it builds us. It empowers us. It refines us. It brings us closer to God. I'm going to read James uh, chapter 1. This is James, not the guy who's executed. That would be pretty cool. Uh, this is James who Peter went to the house and told him to go and tell James about the stuff which happened to him and James. Are you with me? Good. Glad you're not. Uh, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And again, Wayne Grudem, this theologian guy, he says, uh, he says, God can bring increased sanctification to us through illness and suffering just as he can through miraculous healing. And when writing of Paul's suffering, John Piper, another preacher, theologian guy, who, a bit of background knowledge, John Piper was himself diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and his initial response was, thank you, God. You should read his letter online. Anyway, it says, he says, the aim of the gospel is not an easy life. It's a deeper knowledge of God and a deeper trust in God. He goes on to say, The goal of the gospel is not my immediate ease or wealth or safety in this age, but a dependence on Christ and a delight in his glory. It's not Being a Christian isn't for my goodness, for my wealth, for my health. No one ever said being a Christian would be easy. It's to bring us closer to God. And so it's our God, so it's, it's God's will for us to be close to him. It's, our will for, it's his will for our lives. And suffering can cause us to be closer to God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, in his strength, we must rely on God more. And this shouldn't just be when we suffer. 
This should be a preemptive strike. This should be to prepare us for any times ahead. And they're all, it's going to come to everyone, so we may all get ready. If you wait till you're suffering, it's, it's going to be harder. So a preemptive strike, our response, and that's our response to suffering. Why James and not Peter? I have no idea why James and not Peter. It was God's will was different for their lives, but it's his will for us to draw closer to him. Okay, uh, next point, sorry. Good community. Um, suffering also brings us closer into community. Um, so another way to get closer to God is through his church. His church is filled with godly men and women. And so communing with them helps us get to know God that little bit more. It's, it's, it's meeting together to, get, to, get, to have worship together, yes. Prayer together, which builds us up. Teaching together, which obviously um, teaches into our hearts. But also it's communing with men and women of God who can speak into our hearts and into our lives, who we can speak into their lives, which also builds us up. And we see community in action in verse 5 and verse 12, where he says, but earnest prayer was made for him, uh, was made to God by the church, and also where many were gathered together and were praying for Peter, and probably for James as well. So the, the church gathered in prayer for Peter. Corporate prayer is also the key. And, um, you know, John Lennon spoke on this uh, a, few, a few months ago. You can check it, check it out online. Um, prayer is the weapon of the church, and prayer works corporate prayer together, it increases our faith, it empowers us, it builds us up, it, 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 it strengthens us when we pray together. And, it, and as I said, it works. You know, obviously, Peter was released. It works. You know, I, have, um, I have the privilege of being involved with some of the life groups in church, and uh, I get to meet together with some of the leaders, and I get to go to di- some different groups, and I go to April's group sometime. I don't know where she is. Um, and it's a really, it's a wonderful group. They're a uh, hilarious bunch. And uh, what's great is we go in and we have a, a lovely dessert. We get chatting about the week. And then it usually comes around to, the, the, the uh, conversation comes around to prayer requests. And so people give their prayer requests if there's anything on their heart. But every week, there's answers to prayer. Every single week, there's answers to prayer. And if you want to ask some prayers answered, I encourage you to get into April's group because it's a wonderful praying life group. Uh, another, another example would be the Sunday night prayer meeting. So uh, TAG, we meet every Sunday night. And this is where the church can meet together to pray and, and, to, uh, and to worship God. And uh, we know from Acts 4, verse 31, meeting together, praying together corporately is extremely powerful. And a praying church is a powerful church. If a church wants to go to go in the direction God wants it to go in, the church needs to be a praying church. It's not just up to the elders. How much more powerful is, is, is 200 guys praying compared to just the three elders? There you go. Um, so for those reasons alone, life group and tag is so important. A tag, the Sunday evening prayer meeting. If you don't feel connected, if you don't feel like you're in a good community, if you don't feel like you have any Christian friends, or you don't feel you're growing in your Christian walk, you need to get stuck in. You need to get rooted into your life group, because that's where it all happens. Uh, and it's not just going along to tag or to, to life group. It's, it's getting stuck in. Our, in our growing church, um, which is growing week by week, 
it's, not, it's a bit unfair to expect Gary and Joe and Kevin, our elders, to pick up all the pastoral issues. The life groups are where you get a lot of support yourselves. You get community, discipleship, uh, teaching, and prayer. You get to grow as a Christian which, and get closer to God, which is God will throw, will, God's will for your life. So being in a life group can help facilitate that. And when it comes to suffering, a good community around us, which, like Peter, he went straight to after he got released, is essential. And for some men here today, perhaps you need to hear that more than others. If you're going through any trials or suffering, don't just hold it inside like we all do, men. Go straight to someone. It might just be a friend, it might be your life group, it might be whoever. But that community is so essential. And as I said, it's God's will that we build his church, that we are in community, uh, that we are in community together. Okay, last point. Still with me? No? Um, good vision. Okay, what do I mean? Obviously, I'm wearing glasses, so um, I don't have good vision. But what I mean is long-sighted vision. I mean really, really long-sighted vision. I mean eternal vision. Okay, vision fixed on God's glory and God's promises he has for us. Uh, I'm going to read uh, 1 Peter, verse 3 to 7. It says, this is obviously Peter who's in the story as well. "Blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, and this is where sanctification comes in, so that your tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's a bit of a mouthful, but that's a wonderful little passage. And read verse 4 again. It says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that's, that's what's in, in store for us. That's the inheritance we have to take hold of. That's what has been promised to us. And that's what's going to come to us. And that is, even though we suffer now, that is what is ahead in our future. Obviously, Jesus was uh, sorry. Obviously, Jesus was. Obviously, James was focused on heaven. He asked in, in Mark. We see James, one of the guys, asking Jesus to have a special place for him in, in heaven at his at his side. A little bit misguided, maybe, but at least he was f- focused on on eternal glory. And although we suffer now, we have this eternal promise. This lifetime ultimately is relatively short. It might not be to a, a five-year-old, but to an eighty-year-old. They'll all say it's been a relatively short life. Time goes so fast when you're older, eh? This lifetime is but a drop in the ocean. Life is too short, perhaps. I loved Adam Angel's, uh, I think it was Adam who gave the analogy of the bucket, li- bucket list a few weeks ago, of, uh, of places, uh, you know, maybe things you wanted to do before you die, places you want to go to. I've got loads of places I want to go to. I want to go to South America, South Africa. Uh, you know, place, lovely places I've heard about, like Stanley and Tracy and Nakawick. All these amazing places, Nakawick. I mean, who wakes up in the morning, right, and lies in bed and thinks, I know what this place needs. It's not a new hospital or, 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 or a road or a cafe. 
this place needs a really big axe. <laughs> Has anyone seen it that quick? It's anyway, I digress. Right, I've lost my track now. Anyway, um, where was I? <laughs> it's like it's humongous. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, so although we suffer now, we have this, we have this promise of eternity. And it's not just living life like this forever. It's eternity with no hurt. Eternity with no pain, no sadness, no depression, no rejection, no failure, no loneliness, no illness, no cancer, no marital problems, no relational problems, no financial problems, no death, and no suffering. That is the promise we have. And what a glorious day that will be. So this moment, this life is for a moment. The suffering we feel now, I'm not saying that that will feel short. It will not feel short if you're going through suffering or when you will suffer. It won't be a joyful experience, perhaps. It won't be enjoyable. The actual pain won't be nice. But, although that is all horrible stuff, the underlying foundational, deep-rooted belief of this eternal promise gives us that ability to rejoice. Romans 8 um, says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that really just sums it all up. So, in, uh, in conclusion, oh, sorry, I should have had it up there. Uh, in conclusion, we can rejoice in our suffering. As easy as that. I know it's not that easy. It's pretty, it is tough. But if we know God personally, we spend time with him, we get to know him. If we know the scriptures, if we have his spirit in us, we're in a good praying community and we keep mindful of his, of his eternal promises in the future, then that cannot fail to help us when we go through hard times. And even if you're not going through hard times, I'm going to finish by reading a couple more passages. I'm going to read uh, Mark Driscoll's book. He's another uh, preacher, pastor over in Seattle. And I'm also going to read from Romans 8 again. Mark Driscoll says this. He says, We glorify God by allowing hardship, pain, and loss to make us more and more like Jesus and give us a more credible witness for Jesus. As Christians, we should neither run to suffering nor run from it. Instead, we receive suffering when it comes, as an opportunity for God to do something good in us and through us. We rejoice not in the pain itself, but rather in what it can accomplish for the gospel. And to follow on from that, Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so I'm going to leave it hanging on a few questions for you to, to consider. I think. Do you rejoice in your suffering? Do you let it sanctify you? Or does it defeat you? Does it make you bitter? Do you declare your identity in Christ and your victory as conquerors over your afflictions? Does it turn you from God? Or do you turn into something which, as John Piper said, makes us dependent on him and delight in his glory? So let's go out, change our view of suffering to God's view of suffering, not our own view, and know what God's will is for our life. Get stuck into, him, into knowing him more through prayer and through scriptures and through community and press on to take hold of the wonderful prizes and promises that God has in store for us in the future.